This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, this is Self Work. I'm so delighted you're here. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been in practice for a little over 25 years as a psychologist, and I started podcasting a couple of years ago in order to extend the walls of my practice, not only to those who might be already in therapy or interested in these kinds of issues, but really to people who might just be beginning their journey in recognizing depression, anxiety, working through grief, whatever. But even perhaps to those of you who might never darken the door of a therapist, but are facing something in your life where you're reaching out. So I'm glad you're here. We're going to be talking today about the devastating power of secrets when there's no real trust anymore. But before we get there, I want to remind you that this is episode 98, so the 100th episode is coming up in only two weeks, and I'd love you to send in emails that I will answer on episode 100. The whole episode will be your emails, your questions, your comments, and my response. So episode 100 is all about you, so please send them in to Margaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I've gotten some, which are wonderful. Some of them are somewhat similar, so I'm going to try to choose questions that bring up different issues for people. So I'd love to hear from you. That's AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. You know, secrets can be devastating, and it's, it is possible to work through them, but it takes time and lots of effort. But what if your partner who lost your trust for some reason believes that he or she wants to just go on with the relationship? You ask for therapy, and they say no. What if distrust is just brushed under the carpet? He or she says, you know, it's over. Get over it. You just have to trust me. So whether you're the person who has kept the secret and now are working on revealing, or whether you're the person that has learned the secret, you don't just get over it. As it, What we say in Arkansas is that's hogwash. Episode 5, actually one of the very, very beginning episodes, was about regaining trust. And we'll go briefly over some of the things I said there. But in this episode, we're going to look at what to do if your partner hasn't done whatever he or she needs to to regain your trust after keeping a secret. Whether it was an affair, whether they hid financial secrets from you, whether they hid an addiction. I'm going to offer you several pretty devastating examples of what can happen. The damage can be irreconcilable. And maybe if you're keeping a secret, this may help you reveal. People who've talked to me who are actively keeping a secret will tell me that keeping it is far less impactful than telling it. But I hate to tell you, your partner's intuition knows something usually. And the impact you're having on them isn't positive. But of course, you have to decide what's best for you. Our listener email for today is from someone who sees herself in perfectly hidden depression, but also appears to act as an enabler in her relationship with an emotionally and verbally abusive husband. So we'll talk to her. So welcome to the 98th episode of Self Work. And our topic today is on the power of secrets.
one of the things I wanted to do in today's episode was summarize very, very briefly the things we talked about in episode five. Now, the topic of episode five was healing from an affair, but regaining trust, no matter what it is, no matter whether it's an affair or some other kind of secret, these steps are really good for both. But again, I'm not going to go into them too much. If you're really interested, check out episode five. First, it's see a therapist together because trust is an obvious issue and what you don't want to create is another person who your spouse or you are telling secrets to and then the therapy will not go well. And that's hard to manage. Yes, it's hard to say certain things in front of your partner, but that's been the problem all along, right? So if you're going to fix the problem, you're going to talk about that. The second thing is Whoever is keeping the secret does not come out all at once with the truth. I watch this over and over again, and I try to prepare the person who's learning the secret that this happens. Number three is that the problems in the relationship did not cause the secret, but they are important to talk about. The secret is going to have context. Sometimes it's more about the relationship than others. For example, a gambling addiction is not necessarily about the relationship. But it obviously has had implications for the relationship. And there may be even pressure to make money or something like that that is a part of the relationship. So it's important to talk about it. Number four is regaining of trust goes both ways, meaning, of course, the person who's keeping the secret or kept the secret has to work to regain the trust of their partner. But the secret keeper has to know that their partner is working through their feelings. And we'll talk more about that. The last is it takes time because usually the regaining of trust can't go slow enough for the person who's learning the secret and can't go fast enough for the secret keeper. So I published that episode way back in December of 2016 and I got this email. All of these ideas sound logical, but what if he had the affair but wouldn't do anything about it? My husband just said to me the affair was over. We needed to get on with our lives. He was sorry. Therapists just want to make a lot of money off people like us. He wouldn't go to therapy. We didn't need it. Plus, I felt like I was in no shape financially to leave him. I had been a stay-at-home mom and hadn't had a career. If I got angry, he might have left me, and I didn't want that. He might go back to her. I felt completely stuck. I just acted like I was okay, and we went on. Well, I promise you this relationship is doomed if that happens, or at least doomed to unhappiness. Not necessarily that they will split, but that it will not be a happy relationship. It can actually be either party that refuses to do the work necessary to heal from a secret, the person that kept it or the person that found out. Here's some examples from my own practice. Of course, the names have been changed. Leslie and Dan realized when their son was in high school that she'd never trusted Dan. He'd had a one-night stand while engaged to her, but vowed there had been nothing else, and they'd been married for 17 years. But they didn't get help early on, and by the time I saw them, they'd spent years ferociously fighting, not even realizing that she never got over her hurt. Whether that was about something with Leslie or Dan was unclear. She said he tried, and the sad thing was that they loved much about the other one. They ended getting divorced. Rick and Delaney hadn't had sex in over 10 years, but they had been extremely partnered in other ways. They had a very, very sick son, and they had bonded in taking care of him. 
but Rick was keeping a secret. He was watching porn. She came into therapy, but he refused, and they sadly got a divorce. John had a gambling addiction, which he hid successfully for a couple of years, but he stole money from his own mother's account. It was so bad, and he lost his job because he was spending so much secret time at the casino. He finally confessed to his husband, Robert, and sought therapy for himself, but they never worked through it emotionally or together. They did pragmatically. He paid back the money. He got himself barred from the casinos. Finally, by the time they came to see me, Robert's resentment was so deep, he had justified lots of his own bad behavior, and the trust on both sides was in the trash. Last example. Terry and Scott came in after having an affair with one another while they were both married to others. They were now married. He was in therapy, recognizing how he'd been very controlling. In fact, he labeled himself a jerk. She finally joined him after many requests for her to do so. But I could tell from the beginning she wasn't committed. She didn't want to talk about herself or admit any wrongdoing. Both of them were highly career-oriented people, and they had a child, of course, others from other marriages. What was sadly discovered later, after he kept on coming in, that actually Terry was already in another relationship. This had been a pattern for her, and that pattern was continuing. So all of these examples are pretty sad because the relationship did end. The secret had had a lot of power, and that's the message I want to give you today. Even if you're keeping one, know that it has power. Back to the question that was sent in by a listener. What do you do if your partner refuses to do the work and you want to stay in the relationship? Here are some suggestions. First, you need to work on your own sense of worth. If you think there's a secret or if you know there's a secret, you need to work on your own sense of competence because it feels lousy that your partner isn't confiding in you that they have a part of their lives that they're not sharing with you and probably blaming it on you. You need to work on yourself spiritually, physically, emotionally, pragmatically. And whatever relational work he or she will do, please try to get them to engage. The second is to work on what will offer you a sense of choice. For example, the listener was financially dependent on her husband If you are financially dependent, go back to school or consider getting some kind of certification. Look into a part-time or even a full-time position. Even if you stay together, you'll know that it is not out of fear of not being able to care for yourself. Now, this can take time, obviously, but it will be time well spent. Also, I would try to build another source of support other than your partner, who, of course, may not be all that supportive, But definitely have people that are on your team that will be there for you if indeed you do decide to confront or even to separate. Third is you want to find ways to express the feelings your partner isn't willing to listen to. Now you can do this through lots of things. You can do it through art, through journaling, through writing. Therapy, of course, can be very helpful. But I do have one word of caution If your partner's not talking to you and you go to a therapist, the therapy itself can seem to highlight more of the problems in your relationship because, I mean, look at it practically. Your therapist is listening to you and believing you. 
So if you want to stay in your relationship, make sure your therapist isn't what I would call vilifying your partner. Make sure that they understand that you want to stay or you're simply not ready to go. And then they can help you find things that are perhaps viable about the relationship and will help you find reasons to stay. The fourth thing is that actually patience can be a virtue. If it's your partner that has kept a secret, sometimes it's the initial guilt that keeps someone from agreeing to, quote-unquote, do the work. They fear that talking will only make things worse. That is a frequent one. But once the dust has settled and he or she finds out you're not going anywhere, perhaps there will be more willingness to talk through some things. We all make mistakes. Some of us are horrible at admitting them. But there is a chance that your patience will save your marriage. The last thing is to realize that you have to repair the damage done to your intuition, your gut instinct. Or if you're the secret keeper, you can help your partner regain their sense of intuition. Perhaps there were things that they picked up on that now make more sense. If you were the person learning the secret, your intuition, your instinct was trying to get your attention. Even now, if the secret keeper is devoted to secret keeping, he or she may still deny that the things that you sensed were viable, were real. So you may have to disagree, but it is important for you to reconnect with that instinct, to not blame yourself, and to realize anyone can keep a secret. Anyone. The trust will be difficult to regain if he or she is not willing to actively work on it with you. But if it's your choice to hang in there, then look for ways that you can try to trust again. If you can't find them, then perhaps everything will need to be reevaluated. And since we're talking about both sides of the coin, and if you've kept a secret or are keeping a secret, please at least realize that it is having an impact on your relationship. And of course, it's having an impact on you as well. You can feel tremendous shame or guilt. So keep all of that in your decision-making. I had a patient one time, or briefly had a patient. He and his wife came in, and he'd had a relationship with a woman that he considered his best friend, but he had kept the relationship secret from his wife. I looked at him and said, you have to give up the friendship in order to work on your relationship with your wife. And he said, but why? We didn't have an affair. I don't love her. She's just my best friend. And I said, because you kept a secret. That's why. You gave that relationship power to harm your own when you didn't tell. Our listener email today is about perfectly hidden depression. I get a lot of emails about PhD. If you're curious about what it is, you can listen to episodes three and four with my acknowledgement that those were some of my first ones, and I think I sound kind of nervous. Perfectly hidden depression is what it sounds like. It is a state of depression that may go unrecognized because it's hidden by perfectionism, taking a lot of responsibility, denial or discounting of pain, lots of things like that. I'm actually writing a book on perfectly hidden depression that will be published in November of 2019. I'm so excited and honored. So let's read this email together. I wanted to thank you for your generosity in spending so much of your time and energy reaching out to help people across the world. 
with your blog and podcast. I only discovered your podcast a few weeks ago, and already it's made a huge difference in my level of self-awareness. That really delights me. I'm a 27-year-old woman listening in from Australia, and I first found your podcast while looking for guidance on how to best support my partner with his clinical depression. Then I listened to episodes three and four on PhD, blew my mind, and honestly kind of scared me. For a couple of weeks, I just let the information sit in the back of my mind and eventually felt like I could find your blog and take the questionnaire. Over 20 of the 24 questions were a positive yes. Since then, I've listened to every one of your episodes about PhD and read many of your blog posts. I'm beginning to think about how much of an impact this is having on my life, an impact that I've never recognized. I've always had an overly optimistic view of life, fervently believing that I'm extraordinarily lucky, that my life has been blessed and unusually wonderful. I care for everyone around me. I put other people's problems before mine and volunteer a huge amount of time to a cause I feel strongly about in my community. I'm constantly studying and am self-employed running my own business. Externally, I'm successful, living a happy and fulfilling life. Internally, I'm like an automaton, going through the motions just to get through every day. I don't feel sad, but I don't feel happy either. And if you asked, I don't think I could remember the last time I felt actual joy. Suddenly, with your information on PhD as a frame of reference, I look back on my life and see a long list of traumatic experiences. For a long, long time, I've minimized and even ignored these experiences, and now I understand that that is the only way I knew how to cope at all. I won't bore you with details of the past, but I guess I now see my current situation as part of a recurring pattern. I'm in a very unhealthy victim-saver relationship, and I'm sure you can guess which role I play. My partner has been diagnosed with clinical depression and is emotionally unstable to the point of being unpredictably verbally and emotionally abusive. He spends his life complaining about everything and everyone, avoiding all his problems and finding excuses, while I spend my life perpetually trying to cheer him up, clean up his messes, and keep our life in order. I find myself very confused and conflicted about how to proceed. I don't know if I'll be able to simultaneously find the strength to fight my own internal battles as well as learning how to place boundaries in an already well-established relationship. I know that I definitely can't go on carrying the whole weight of our relationship, his mental issues as well as my own. I don't know if I really have a question here or if I'm just reaching out in the hope of finding understanding. If you have any words of wisdom for me, Dr. Margaret, I would receive them gratefully. This is a perfect example of someone with perfectly hidden depression. I could not have said it more eloquently myself. So here's my answer. Obviously, you're quite insightful about what's going on with you and in your marriage. What I can most strongly suggest is to realize it took you a long time to get in this situation, and it will likely take you a while to stop and consider what you want to do. It's a lot when you realize if you begin altering your own choices for yourself— of course, that will affect all of your relationships, and of course, especially your marriage. You sound as if you're a classic enabler. Drinking isn't your husband's issue, but his temper and outbursts are. I'd strongly recommend finding an Al-Anon group to go to for ideas about detachment from your enabling. Al-Anon is an anonymous group of people who are in relationships with alcoholics. The group doesn't have an agenda to try to influence you to stay or go. 
but their agenda is for you to, quote-unquote, detach with love. As far as simultaneously starting individual work, you'll be working on yourself any way you go. But if you start individual work first, of course, some of your focus will be on your marriage. If you go to Al-Anon or try to begin changing in your relationship, you'll still be focusing on yourself as an individual. You can't do those things separately. It all emerges at once. And if you're ready to change, as scary as it is, then you'll go forward, perhaps quite to the dismay of your spouse. If you've been verbally abused for several years, that's also taken its toll. It's hard to believe that you are worth valuing. I've written some about that on my website, which you've already gone to, and there's one podcast on it. I think it's called Why You Stayed. I also recommend to her a book called The Emotionally Abusive Relationship, and I will include that link in our show notes. Again, trying to change in a relationship where you've been verbally abused, emotionally abused, is very difficult because you will not get permission at all in any shape, form, or fashion for those changes. And yet setting appropriate boundaries, knowing what you will do or not do any longer, is so important for your own mental health. I hope that those of you who are finding yourself in perfectly hidden depression will understand that you can change. You do not have to hide who you are. You can find people who you can trust and be vulnerable with. But perhaps not the partner that you've chosen at this point in your life. And of course, that has its own brand of sadness. I want to thank all of you for being here at Self Work. And I'd like to invite you to subscribe either on my own website which is drmargaretrutherford.com. If you do that, you'll receive a weekly blog post and this podcast in a weekly newsletter. No more, I promise. Or subscribe wherever you listen, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, whatever. Spotify, I think I'm on Spotify now. I want to especially thank those who left written reviews on iTunes for me this past month. One says, Dr. Rutherford talks about issues I relate to and have struggled with for quite some time. That's wonderful. This review is from someone who just turned 40, the big 4-0 as she called it. Thank you for this podcast that provides me with a helpful boost and weekly reminder that self-work is a lifelong job. And if you do stop, feelings of anxiety can come back. You have to keep working on you. I really agree with that. And then another one says, she covers so many topics in a quick and concise way that doesn't make you lose interest or tune out. The range of subjects allow you to listen back to back or skip around without being lost. That's good to know, because sometimes I worry about that. So I'm glad to know that that is actually a plus for this particular listener. I'd love to hear from you. Again, it helps me to know the specifics of what you like or don't particularly like. In fact, I had a comment this week about episode 86. Someone said that she was concerned that I had painted someone with borderline personality disorder as being female only. So I wanted to make sure that she knew that I thought I'd address that in the podcast, but if I didn't, I needed to correct that error. So thank you for your emails and your reviews. Again, you can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. And there's a new way to interact with me, if you like. It's via my new Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash selfwork. Facebook.com slash groups slash selfwork. 
Thanks so much for being here. Number 99 is next week, and then the big 100. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.